This is the Strong Manchester Women podcast, a series of inspiring conversations with the changemakers, activists, leaders and trailblazers who make our city and beyond a better place to live, work and play. Now, Manchester has a history of very strong women. Women who are forces to be reckoned with. Women who push the envelope, start movements, smash glass ceilings, stand up for their rights and turn the wheels of progress. What do we do when they mess with our rights? We fight, we fight, we fight, we fight. What do we want? So join me, your host, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull, as I speak to these women. Women who you may not have heard of before, the underground heroes who are changing lives and making a lasting impact in our communities. So in this episode, we speak to Denise Yuan Magson. And we talk about looking after yourself. I've been with my Tai Chi master for like 12, 13 years now. Growing up in a different country. You had to walk a mile to school and I walk a mile back in the scorching sun. Breaking down barriers. The root of my career, I suppose, is all about how you challenge discrimination. And lots more. Actually, Denise is not a recognised legal name. It's just a name that I used about 40-odd years ago. And I used it because... When I first came to the country, not many people could pronounce my Chinese name. I actually have got two Chinese names, so it's Yuan Yong. So I decided then I would choose an English name to make it easier. I'm semi-retired. I used to work as a nurse lecturer. Well, obviously, with time on my hands when I retired, I was looking at different things to do. And luckily, through um, a lady that I used to know, and she asked me whether I wanted to participate in some radio training. So I thought, why not? You know, give it a go. That was in 2017. The training was for six weeks, and the whole project was a project funded by the health authorities. And it was for, at that time, looking at alternative therapies for improving mental health of the Chinese community. How's that grown today then? What is it? What's the, is, are, you still doing, are you still doing the radio? We're still broadcasting live every Friday and the radio programme is called Radio Shudlock and we're broadcasting on community radio, all FM 96.9. Radio, actually, is not difficult to get into. And All FM has a really excellent training opportunity. It's very, it's fun. And it doesn't actually take a lot of training to be able to do it. When I first saw the deck, it was like, buttons and switches, what do I do? (laughs) We've now got more funding to do other projects. And the most recent one we're doing is called Crossing the Borders, which is a project on migration. It's capturing the stories of how people and why people came to England and why particularly in Manchester. So some people came because it was they had family already here and they heard that it was 
you know, there were more opportunities, so they came and they stayed. Some didn't intend to stay, but ended up staying. It's a range of different stories. So it's capturing, I suppose, people's journeys and I suppose encourage other people to understand that there are people living in the city that comes from different walks of life, but probably still have the same sort of aspirations and wishes as everybody else as human beings. All the work behind the research is like we had to draw up our own protocol for the research, design the research, interview people. We also trained others to do interviewing because the interviews are done in Cantonese. And I'm no good because I, my Cantonese is no good. My uh, first language is actually English. And now that we've got the interviews in, we're doing the transcribing. Once we've finished all the transcript, we'll be choosing five stories to develop into radio plays. We'll also photograph. So we've collected loads and loads of photographs. So that will go into, um, to become a book. So again, that will be a legacy and it'll be archived in Central Library. Wow, it sounds like a fantastic resource. <laughs> Tell me about the time when you were found that you'd been selected as one of the strong Manchester women. <laughs> how, how did it feel? They asked us to choose two words that, that we choose to trying to explain what makes us strong Manchester women. And the two words that I chose was pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers. I've had quite a lot of experience where people look at me physically, visually. I don't know whether it's just people's perception, but they see me as a Chinese woman and they don't expect me to come out and speak like this. Some say I've got a Yorkshire accent, but I don't know what accents I've got. You know, I think I have slowly developed the accent because I've lived here now for 40-odd years. I've lost the Malaysian accent because Malaysians would speak something like, how are you la? When my nursing days and I was a community nurse and I would have to ring people up to make appointments so they would hear me and introduce myself as Denise Megson. But once I arrive at the door, some, you can see sometimes people's faces and they will be, oh, are you Denise? I'd say, yes, I am. <laughs> and they will be like, you know, she's not who they visualize I would be. And sometimes that makes me have to work harder, I think, to challenge that perception and to say that, yes, I'm just as good as the next person and just as capable as the next person. But on the other hand, I, I taught English in China for two years as a foreign language teacher. And I got it then from the Chinese students. Because when I walked into the classroom for the first time, and again, my name on the timetable is Denise Mengson, and they would whisper in Mandarin, are you sure she's from England? You know, she doesn't look Western. <laughs> So it's challenging the, the perceptions. But in terms of pushing boundaries, my professional life as a learning disabilities nurse, I've always worked with groups of people who are stigmatised, who are labelled, um, who are deemed as not useful in society. Again, we work very hard with our students to challenge that and to do things that shows that people with disabilities 
have an equal right in society. They're just as capable. They might do it differently. My professional background has quite a lot of influence on my values and thinking in my voluntary work. It sounds like a lot of your work is all around equality. Probably, yes. I mean, I don't always think of it in that way. I think of it as because I'm married into a Western family and my husband is a Westerner, uh, I feel that I straddle two cultures. And rather than having separate entities, I think it's good that if you're able to marry together, and for example, my children, I still teach them about some things, not everything, about Chinese culture so that they have an understanding. The only regret I have with my kids is that I didn't teach them any Chinese, but then I don't know much Chinese either. <laughs> well, I actually learned Mandarin when I was 50. Wow. Even though my mother tongue is Cantonese, but in Malaysia, straight in the age of five or six, I started learning English and the whole family goes to English school. So all the kids and all the cousins are speaking English. So I can do simple Cantonese like ordering food or making my basic needs known, but anything to do with like discussing emotions and all that sort of thing, I, I don't have the vocabulary. And does that surprise some people? You're saying I don't speak, I don't speak yes. Cantonese, yeah. Yes. Well, I <laughs> And sometimes it's looked down upon. How come you're Chinese and you can't even speak your own mother tongue? Mm. My parents actually chose to send us to uh, English-speaking schools. So all throughout my education, our headmistresses were Irish nuns. For me, that was a way of life. And yes, I can speak some Cantonese, but I don't know how to speak a lot of Cantonese. <laughs> so you say when you were little, you grew up in Malaysia. Yeah. What did you want to be when you were little? Again, it's difficult to say because I came from quite a poor family. And from the age of 11, I was actually taking responsibility in running parts of the business. So my responsibility was actually the cooking. So your mum and dad had a... Well, we started off with a little store by the street. So we just sold food by the road. And I remember when I was age 11, I was half studying, half pounding the chilies and garlics and whatever, the ingredients for making the curry. When you're selling by the roadside with no licenses, you do get chased by the police. And I remember when police come, everybody would be shouting, quick, pack all your things, run, run. <laughs> Obviously, that wasn't a very stable way of life or business. And my mum was my role model. I mean, she, I've always... I know she's not with us now, but she was the one who held the family together. Once she got a little bit more money, I think we were selling on the streets for about a couple of years. My auntie actually bought a shop and my mum rented it from her. So then we had a stable base. By that time, I think I was probably, I was in secondary school, so at least um, 12, 13. My life would be in the morning before we went to school, I would be lighting the fires, getting the stall ready, and then mum would come down. So then I would go to school by 7 o'clock because the bus comes around 7 o'clock. And we attended school, I think it was 8 to 1. And you, the bus didn't actually take you straight into school. You had to walk a mile. And I'd walk a mile back in the scorching sun. When we came back from school, 
because we do take house and people didn't come to collect. So I was going around, taking the business, the orders, making the food, sending it out, collecting the monies, keeping the accounts. And then in the late afternoon, when the stalls were closed, I would be preparing for the next day. Everything was done by hand. And I'm the chef. So I can make wonton barbecue pork. <laughs> so that was my speciality and curries. <laughs> so that happened till I um, left. Because I was good at studying, my mum allowed me to keep on doing A-level before I came over to UK to do nursing. So I didn't actually have an ambition of what I'm going to do because, again, there was some politics undercurrents if you weren't a Bumiputra, which was translated from Malay into Prince of the Land, there were less opportunities for you to go to um, university. There was less opportunities if you want to buy houses, whereas the Bumiputras, they would be sponsored to go to university. They, If they wanted a mortgage, would have reduced interest rates. So even right from start, I, I see and have seen discrimination. I do think it's fascinating if we take time to reflect on our journeys and our careers, how things that happened when we were little have planted seeds for where we are now. Denise goes on to tell me how she got into nursing. I came to do nursing because there were I had two aunties who were already here and were nurses. You know, 40 odd years ago, they were trying to get people from other parts of the world to come work in the NHS. But prior to that, I did voluntary work and this was a school club. So from there, I worked and did voluntary work with disabled children. So I had some experience of disability. And when I applied to come to do nursing, there were no places for general nursing. Because I think by that that time, nursing then was fine uh, and became quite a popular vocation. But mental health, learned disabilities were still not many of the people who live in this country wanted to go into that line of work. So we tended to come in and did those line of work. And I did learned disabilities nursing. I didn't really make a conscious choice of coming and becoming a nurse, but because those were the opportunities that were available, I took it. And I imagine that mental health nursing and stigmas towards people with learning disabilities were much different 40 years ago. Yes. Because at that time, people used to live in institutions and weren't allowed to come out. And there's still a lot of the stigma and the segregation. The root of my career, I suppose, is all about how you challenge discrimination. How do you, you know, do you accept it? Do you live with it? Or is there something you can do about it? I'm not talking about marching out and, and shouting and give us our rights, that sort of thing. It's starting from educating the, the young people about what is a disability, it might be hidden disabilities, and how to communicate with people with disabilities. I think it's still one of the difficult things that people struggle with, or how do I interact with a person with disability? So it's really about educating people and looking at um, putting the positives across. I mean, sometimes you do have to challenge. It's like, for example, when um, I used to work with the kids, 
we would take them out to for holiday. And we didn't used to go out in big, long, what we call dragons or, or crocodiles. Because <laughs> at one time, that's what used to happen. You would take about 20, 30 residents, they were called then, out to Blackpool. And basically, you just walk along Blackpool prom in one long line. And everybody stared at you because who would go out in one long line? <laughs> So we used to, and this was in the now early 80s when we were starting changing the practices. And we used to take the children out two or three at a time to go on holiday. But you still got people saying, oh, aren't you good to be working with these children? Or here's a fiver, buy yourself a drink. <laughs> so it, it used to happen. And so it was like, right, what do we do? Do we accept the money and say nothing? And or do we say, oh, thank you very much. You know, the, the children actually have their own money and they've paid for their own holidays and they love coming out. If you give the money back, people might get very offended. Or if you become aggressive yourself, whereas if you explain that, yes, you know. It's so easy to hear the common themes that are running throughout this interview with Denise. Changing perceptions, breaking down barriers, equality. But these are huge things to tackle. And I wonder how Denise picks herself back up after the hard times. I mean, I'm always a person, people keep saying to me, oh, you're always smiling, you're never sad. And my approach to some of these things is, well, just get over it sometimes. That's life. You can't change everybody. You just have to live with some of the things. But no, I, I do get stressed and... But now that I've learned how to manage it, and when I get stressed, I just go and do a bit of Tai Chi. Or I talk about it with some people, or sometimes I just take myself away for a couple of days and cut people out <laughs> to regenerate. I love that. <laughs> I just go away. I just, I just go away. <laughs> I think I'm at this time of my life where I am able to say what I want to do. Because when I had kids and when I was younger, it was very stressful and you were pushed to do things. Because like I was doing my degree, I was working full time. My daughter was six months old when I started my degree. When I was young, you just did it. But now that I'm on the age, off the age, that I have um, much more choices, much more freedom. To do things and yes I I need sometimes that time when I'm away from other people to just I don't know it's just either to relax let go and then come back and look at things differently yeah almost reflection isn't it time to reflect and yeah I love this how many times have we reacted in the moment when it would have been so much better in hindsight to go away chill reflect and come back and deal with it. You heard a little bit before about Denise and her Tai Chi. And I don't know about you, but I want to find out a little bit more about this. Denise goes on to tell me about how Tai Chi helps chill her out. So apart from Tai Chi, which I try to practice once every week at least, but I've been with my Tai Chi master for, crikey, 12, 13 years now. It's a Chen style which is very different from the other styles, which are much more free-flowing, much more gentle. Whereas the Chen style has a lot of what we call explosive energy. So you tighten, tense, and so that is a way of releasing energy and it also helps you to 
get rid of whatever negativity that you have. Sometimes I don't do the whole caboodle because the whole caboodle can take an hour from the basics right up to doing the form, right up if you want to. And he has taught us doing the weapons, so swords and things. (laughs) Some people have seen me in parts with a sword. (laughs) Thinking, what is that woman doing? (laughs) So it's about focusing. So for that hour, I don't think of anything else. It's just me and I'm focusing on the breathing, on the fluidity of the movements. He calls it, my master calls it just uh, meditation. So we do standing pole where we stand and we're imagining in our minds that the energy is flowing between the fingers. So that's like a form of meditation. What I found for me personally is I used to every winter have chest infections without fail. And since I started Tai Chi, I've not had many chest infections. That's fantastic. It's, it's, it's actually working as well. That's great. Yeah, I'm so interested to hear about how people look after themselves. I think it's so important. Have you ever been held back or discriminated against because of your gender? I don't tend to dwell on it. Because like, I'm the main breadwinner. In my family, I was the one in the family who always did all the decisions, held the money, did all the finances. <laughs> and, you know, right from young, I, I'm used to doing all those sorts of things. So I don't consciously have it in my mind. I can't do it because I'm a woman. And I think that's something that has taken from my mum. Because she was a woman, and yet she was very successful in her business. She, you know, had six kids and brought up six kids, and she ran the business. And, and I'm not conscious of sort of ever thinking that because I'm a woman, I can't do this. I'm quite happy with walking to a pub by myself <laughs> and ordering a drink and eating. <laughs> so maybe I'm more men than women. <laughs> In terms of my thinking. (laughs) What's your biggest achievement? I would say raising two fairly good kids. Fairly good. (laughs) Oh, I love that your kids are your biggest achievement. That's so lovely. (laughs) I bet they'd be really happy to hear you say As I'm sure that Denise is a role model to her children and countless other people, I want to know who her role models are. Mum, obviously, my mum, when we were young and she had the business, she used to give us a sum of money every month and we would actually have to organise our spendings to last the whole month. We used to have to pay school fees, pay for the school bus, pay for lunches. (laughs) Does that put you in good stead for adult life? Yes. Teach you about budgeting, saving money. I asked Denise if she had any advice for people who are looking to follow in her footsteps. And she's as modest as ever with her response. Well, I don't think that I'm doing anything great. But the thing is, like, to join in, to to the best of your abilities, that's always my mum again, was like, if you want to do it, do it properly. Do something that you're interested in and do it to the best of your abilities rather than doing it for 
status of our game. Do something you like. Something you enjoy. Thank you very much, Denise. You've been brilliant. You're welcome. (laughs) This podcast is inspired by the annual Strong Manchester Women campaign. The campaign celebrates the achievements and impact of a bunch of incredible women doing brilliant things. The 14 women profiled in this series were selected for the 2019 campaign. To find out more about all of the women featured in this podcast and the campaign, visit pankhursttrust.org. To listen to Denise's radio show, head to mixcloud.com and search Radio Schwenlock. We'd also love to hear what you think about stories that we've shared with you. Who are your strong Manchester women? Anything, connect with us on Twitter using the hashtag strongmcrwomen. A big thanks to Manchester City Council and the Pankhurst Trust for supporting this podcast series. And a big thank you, of course, to Denise for her time. The Strong Manchester Women podcast is a Mike Media production and is presented, produced and edited by me, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull. For more information, visit mikemedia.co.uk. The podcast has been made possible through the Centenary Cities Legacy Fund.